Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. I'm Daniela, and this podcast is about my personal and also about a lot of other people's enthusiasm for art. Art can touch on all parts of life, and therefore we talk about all parts of life. I hope to get you on board and to tell you interesting stories you enjoy listening to. For our international listeners, the podcast will be held mostly in English. We're recording via the internet, so please excuse any glitches and sound quality. Episode 63, recorded June 3, 2022. My guest today is Thomas Selig, head of the photographic collection at Museum Volkwang in Essen. Hi, Thomas. Very nice to have you. Hello, Daniela. Good morning. Good morning. Thomas, you yourself... As I know very well, you started with being a photographer and therefore you have insights into the field from the practitioner side. But before we explore photography in all its variants, I would like to know more about your early formative years. How did you grow up? How did you first get in touch with photography? And what was so fascinating for you that you stayed with it up to now? Well, it's always a question, where do you start your biography when it comes to uh, your professional career? I would say that it goes back to actually my school time where I was actually in a kind of association where we were making prints for the, what is like the, the school pictures, which were mm -hmm. kind of released once a year. And there was a kind of association where students could get together and work with the teachers on doing the photographs, but also working in the darkroom and things like that. And a friend of mine and myself, we were kind of getting into this kind of experimental use of photography. And it's very funny to look at it nowadays. He came back a couple of years ago, showing me what we have done like 40 years. And it was quite funny to see that we were already having certain ideas of how to explore photography. So basically, that was a starting point. And then um, actually, I wanted to become a photojournalist at some time. And to that way, I had to get my school degree and things like that. I had to work on, I didn't make an Abitur, how it's called here. The Oh, I don't know the English word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's something <laughs> like laureate. I don't know. Something like that, exactly. So I had to kind of make a detour through making an apprenticeship. So I was actually working in a printing company and working on everything which was connected to pre-press. And still today, I would say, that I have a connection to paper, publications, things like that. Mm -hmm. But your family background, I mean, I know we're like the same age, so you were born 1964 in Bocholt, mm -hmm. uh, which is in the Ruhrgebiet. Mm -hmm. And your parents, how did they support you or not support you? Were they interested or how did they react when you showed them your interest and that you wanted to go in that direction, which is not a very secure job? Well, at that time, when I was uh, young, they were kind of supporting me by just like, it's probably good that you do what you want to do. My father was a teacher. My mother was working as an accountant somewhere. So basically, they were supporting what I wanted to do. And uh, becoming a photojournalist at that time maybe was a kind of adventurous idea, but also already a bit uncertain. Of course, there, in Germany, there were some big magazines published in uh, something like uh, weekly in uh, newspapers or along with newspapers. But it was already clear that TV has taken over, that the kind of the big market of newspapers on the newsstand, but also as supplements or so, that was kind of slowly drying out. 
That transition was already happening. That was already happening, but still, uh, I must say, when I began my studies in photography at Fachhochschule Bielefeld, it was basically still the idea that this could be the way. And in something like uh, in the first semester, I already kind of realized, oh, well, that is probably not the future and you have to kind of redirect your interest. How did you read the signs? Why did you think? Because when I studied photography in the 90s, I mean, it was in an art department, it was at the Kunstakademie, but still, there was still this flavor of photography that it could be, like, on one hand, meaningful, like in photojournalism, but it could be cool, like in fashion photography, it could be the art photography just came to to its blossoming, it became suddenly very popular also in the art market. Mm. And in the same time, the decline, in a way, already started. Yeah, it's probably when something declines, something else is naturally coming up, or maybe that's also overshadowing in a way or so. So people are looking for other ways when something is kind of ending in a way. So at that time, I studied uh, or began my studies in 1988. I think one or two years later, the FAZ supplement, for example, they kind of quit publishing. That means there were like uh, three, four staff photographers at that time. They were doing excellent works, really something like role models, how you could do reportage and mm -hmm. also the kind of, how to say, an author-driven way that you could see somebody has put in some energy in that. And that was something where you said, okay, if that is not taking place, if you go to travel magazines like uh, Geo or Merian or so. And they were all kind of uh, getting more careful. They didn't pay in advance. They asked people to kind of first produce and then maybe taking something. So that's something what we learned just by talking to professors, but also within the group of uh, students. And then it was quite clear that most of us kind of changed programming. So your interest in, in photography was not necessarily as a creator yourself, as, as somebody who needs to express that through making pictures. You could also imagine just another way, but still in the same field. Yeah, well, at that time, I would say the ambition was still to produce. I mean, when you start photography in, it's called Fachhochschule, it's kind of school for applied arts. So it was a kind of thing between not technical, but something like which was not an academy but uh, still connected to some applications, how you could use photography in, I don't know, fashion, advertising, editorial, and things like that. Yeah, but you would go through the different genres, so at a Fachhochschule, which is yeah, like University for Applied exactly. Art yeah, or yeah. Photography, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you would still learn those genres like portrait and landscape, and you would learn the technique and all of that. Yeah, well, it was from the start, it was ready, like there were two poles. We had uh, four photography teachers and I was mainly connected to a photojournalist who was uh, kind of very famous in the 60s, 70s, Jürgen Heinemann. He worked a lot for, for example, church magazines, NGOs, and he travels through all the world, South America and things like that. And then there was another person, which was Gottfried Jäger and his thinking about photography maybe that was even more important for me if i'm looking back now it was generative photography so basically thinking about photography in its core between zero and one or between black and white and what are the conditions of photography and all these kind of trends which we see today barbara Carsten, james welling or so this was already kind of set as as a kind of little virus at that time 
There was, from the beginning of photography, there were all these, how to say, like these side arms, where there was so much experimentation and so many experiments already were, were done like directly after the birth of photography mm -hmm. and where we think later on they were discovered but there was from the beginning on there it was a wide field and not necessarily depicting reality yeah in exactly. quotes yes right, right right especially when you look back to the i don't know 1920s this kind of innovation of moholy yeah. notch and all this kind of innovators they really stressed the photography and try to kind of expand the field. And then I think it's always, in a way, coming back to a certain kind of experimentations, even nowadays. Absolutely. To just continue a little bit, so you finished your studies at some point, or not, I don't know. I think you finished. <laughs> I finished, yes, I finished. But actually, on the way, I kind of lost, I mean, somewhere there had to be the transition. So on the way, I kind of lost the idea of kind of claiming that I have to be an author of photography. Mm -hmm. And it had to do actually with, I think that was a visit in the library of the University of Applied Arts. And there was a magazine which was called Aperture. And at that time, they had uh, sometimes, I don't know if they put it in every magazine or so, they put something in there, something like a little insert saying, we are looking for interns. And then it was not only me, but uh, two other guys. And then we applied for this internship. And it was something like, maybe like after summer. And the director of the foundation said, well, basically, we are at book fair in Frankfurt in a month. Why don't you come and we can talk about something like kind of uh, assessment conversation or so. And we all three were invited, finally. And uh, so we drove with the car and we kind of said, okay, whoever gets it, if somebody gets it, whoever gets it, we will be cool, we will be fine and things like that. <laughs> and basically, at the end of the day, we all three got our internship at this foundation. And three months later, we were in New York for half a year. Okay, that's, that's a big step. What happened in New York? Well, basically, we worked in the foundation and it had different departments. One department was the gallery department, and you probably know Michael Wieselhofer. Sure. So he was my friend also from study. So we went together there. He was in the gallery department, and knowing his history from today, it's also funny that he was, for years, he was connected so much into the into the gallery world. And the other was Carsten Moll. He worked in the design department and basically is a designer today. So that's funny. At that time, I was working in the editorial department and I was... Not in the museum Not in the department. museum. No, I mean, it was not a museum, but basically they were producing a lot of content either for museums, but also for the context of where photography is discussed. And of course, it's not only art, but it's also something like a, a question of how society deals with that. And so at the time, I was doing picture research for a book, I think it was Alan Trachtenberg, and he made a kind of big survey of the 20th century. And my job was actually to, to get images from different sources. And for me, it was kind of an eye-opener to see And especially in a place like New York, that in a kind of small geographical place, you could get everything. Everything is accessible if you want to find something. It's a museum, if it's a private archive, it's a historical archive, news agencies. They were, they were all in the city and you just had to kind of organize it. And for me, it was an eye opener how wide photography actually can be defined. And I think that was the starting point of the decrease of becoming a photographer, actually. And you also learned, in a way, from those images, you might have learned your history of photography as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
mm, because yeah. that's something you you need now i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> okay and so so you were for a while in new york and then it was pretty clear you already weren't a producer anymore mm-hmm. did those things you then did later on did they just come to you in a way so you took your opportunity or did you have like a plan that you say well i want to be more in the curatorial or exhibition making department or how how did that develop for you yeah i think it's still connected to my studies because on the way after new york which was actually i think the second or third semester we all came back and we were kind of full with ideas energy and we had within the school we had a student gallery which was kind of completely run by students it was a, a bit supported by the professors by sending out invitation cards and things like that and during that time we were kind of balancing out our how to say we were a bit unsatisfied of what we were getting from the professors and i think it's also a bit unfair from today's perspective but they <laughs> were doing their job for i don't know 20 years mm. and we felt a bit disconnected at that time so yeah. we kind of filled that in by a little bit teaching ourselves in a group of maybe 10 people And we were not only exhibiting, but also, I don't know, getting into the car, driving to Cologne, looking at shows, driving to Mm. Museum Volkwang in a way, uh, attending an opening. So we were Sprengel Museum. You were super proactive. You did sort of, you invented it yourself. Yeah, we were proactive, but also we we kind of said like, whatever we are interested in, Mm -hmm. we should get the content. And that's what we did with, I don't know, 12, 13 shows per year very exhaustive and next to the studies but on the other hand it was sometimes it was more important to make this kind of shows for the students from the students but at a certain point that was not enough for us and then we were going out and saying okay we invite artists from abroad from switzerland from spain from sweden and things like that and at a certain point also very early in our studies we were invited by festivals to participate and at that time It was, I don't know, for us, it was super adventurous to attend a festival in Rotterdam or uh, in France or so. And that was also the point where you realize there are so many networks actually going on and you have to place yourself in a bigger network. That's something what we learned already during the study times. Mm, And the fields I know that you pursued are also connected in this mix between photography and art. Mm-hmm. So you didn't go through like the purely photographic field. It was mm-hmm. it was always at museums that, I mean, okay, the Photo Museum Winterthur, which came later, which mm-hmm. is a museum purely for photography, but still very much connected to photography in the arts or Museum Volkwang, which is an art museum with a photographic mm-hmm. department. Mm-hmm there was always this not only applied photography you felt drawn to but kind of like more into this arty experimental field what is the thing in it you find so interesting i think it was a dynamic of this group which we were together i mean there were people coming from this journalistic side maybe me even myself i would say maybe i came from that side but then there were others who lived in cologne who moved to bielefeld And they said, okay, there's a Cindy Sherman exhibition. There's a Louis Lawler exhibition. There is, I don't know, with the Blanca Gallery, there was Richard Prince or something Mm -hmm. like that. So basically, we had good reasons to go there and actually learn by just visiting a lot of shows. But that was actually all next to the museum 
world. And for us, it was something like, aha, you see what was kind of developed in the gallery world will be translated, I don't know, three, five, four, I don't know how many years it is translated at a certain point in institutional settings. And that was something which was nice to discover. And also, I think there's always a kind of shyness to visit galleries, but we were completely not shy. Uh, <laughs> that was something like the infrastructure, which we inhaled in a way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was that was in the 90s or something? Yes, early 90s. Uh, yeah, early 90s. Yeah. But then you took a proactive turn. You started curating already in a student gallery. Mm -hmm. And then you, then you said, yeah, this is something I want to do. Yeah, there was a certain moment after my studies that I was quite unsure if that could be uh, also kind of substantial model for the future to kind of switch the side because actually I came still from this kind of applied side. And I remember that actually I was applying for a... DAD grant, which is something mm -hmm. like in Germany, it's something like if you want to go abroad as a student or after this, the student years, you have to apply at the DAD. And I came from this photo-based school applying for a curatorship course at that time in Derby in England. And I was not accepted because I was too photographic. Then I applied on the other side for actually taking part in uh, programs and then, and then they said the opposite. So basically I was completely falling into a trap and I had mm. to kind of motivate myself and also finance myself. So, and then I made the move to say, okay, then I'm not going to Derby to, to England, but I applied for the Jan van Eyck Academy, which is a postgraduate place in Maastricht, which is something like 15 kilometers behind the German border. So I was living in Aachen and traveling to Maastricht and working in Cologne. And that was something like the construction to finance the whole thing. Well, interesting, because in Aachen, I mean, you know that there was for a long time, Wilhelm Schumann was a professor for photography there at the yeah. University of Applied Science, which is, which is also this um, special course I think he gave. Yeah, I was not connected to the to, to the art school, so I didn't meet him there. But actually, at that time, I was a producer for the SK Stiftung Kultur, the August Sander Yes, Archive. I remember that's where we met. That's probably where we met. And I remember that Wilhelm was kind of guest curating a show, someone else with my fingerprint. Mm -hmm. Very, very important show for myself to learn something like this. So there's a collector who has a kind of really open eye perspective towards where do things come from but also how were they used in a contextual way and so that was a real challenge to learn with him like what are the boundaries how far can you go also he has this also this kind of twisted role he's a curator but on the other hand he had a history as as a photographer he's a photographer he's a collector he's a curator yeah. he was a gallerist so he, had he was all this, a gallerist in yeah. the beginning yeah. so he had all these hats on and it helped me a bit to understand that it's possible to have many hats But at certain points in like my professional career, I also had problems to have had too many hats. You're not everybody is such a renaissance personality, actually. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, it can be too much for, for some people. It's better to focus. No, I think it's, at certain points, it's also a clash of interest. I mean, you, you cannot be a gallerist. At some point, I was a gallerist. And I think that we also met in Cologne. And then on the other hand, talking to a curator from an institution on the same level and say, yeah, I'm also a freelance curator. I'm not sure, actually. I think, I think actually, if you do it in a very transparent, integral way, 
Mm-hmm. You know, just be open with those that you say, yeah, there might be a clash of interest, but I'm yeah. working openly with it. It might be a possibility to play yeah. all these fields if you have the capacity. Yeah. But so you went from, from the Jan van Eyck Academy, you went to the SK Stiftung? I went to the SK Stiftung working there. And then at a certain point, Ulrich Fiedler, a gallerist from Cologne, and his main focus was actually the Bauhaus time. And at that time, he collected both photography and furnitures. Mm -hmm. And then he wanted to expand. I think he had one or maybe two artists already in the contemporary section. And he wanted to kind of extend that um, field. And then I became the director, so to say, of the contemporary program. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So you went from SK to Ulrich Fiedler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that it was this very interesting on very high quality mixture of furniture and photography. Mm-hmm. And at some from, especially from the, the Becher School, mm-hmm. photographers like Boris Becker mm-hmm. were part of that. And it was at that time in the 90s, I mean, I think it was the prevalent school of photography. Yeah. which also then became very, very successful commercially, at least a f- few guys. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can be transparent. You've been one of them. Oh, oh yes. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, yes. Well, I studied there, I would yes. say. I yeah. studied there, yeah. but I wouldn't necessarily place my own work in that context, actually. No, I but, agree. You know, but yeah. still it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was an influence mm-hmm. on, at some point. And yeah, I was part of that crowd, but I was not part of like the, the so-called Strufskis. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. And that is sort of like what the the mainstream art world saw at that time, this super, super successful mm-hmm. part, which probably now is also, I mean, they're still there and they're still very successful, but it's not probably any more state of the art in photography. Yeah, maybe I can also talk a little bit about, about this kind of Ruf, Struth and Gurski phenomenon, because actually there at that time there were like 10, 15 years in front of us and studying in Bielefeld or studying in Essen or any other school. It was also a bit frustrating at some times that the gallery world was actually so much putting focus on this group of photographers, which were coming from, I don't know, one school, one theory and things like that. Yeah. And even the generation after this. Yeah. And even the generation after that. And it somehow kind of triggered me as a person who was between being a photographer and uh, finding my place there, Mm -hmm. kind of triggered me to also state that there are alternatives and uh, there are other voices or so. And even in the generation of Ruf, Struth and Gurski, there are, or at that time, photographers like Joachim Brum or Volker Heinze, they were doing excellent stuff, but not for the gallery context, but for example, publishing very important books or Michael Schmidt with Waffenruhers. So they had a different arena where they were finding their voice and there was another arena. And basically after, I don't know, many years, I think economically they developed differently, but in terms of recognition and also fame, I think they're... On cultural value. The cultural value, I would say they, they produced the same quality of works and uh, after it's i think it's also that they are recognized as such and also not to forget in the early 90s wolfgang tillmans was also already working exactly and that also was kind of originated from cologne i think it was a publication by taschen 
which was released at that time and that was very influential. Then there was also Baitaschen published something was some, I think the title was Contemporary German Photography, a big mix as a kind mm -hmm. of follow-up of Tillmann's and his way of also expressing it. It was very vivid at that time that photography was exploding in different areas. And that was actually, at that time, it was quite good. And I would say nowadays, it's a bit more quiet also. Absolutely. I mean, I remember like, for example, there was Fotokina was still so important, existing, not there anymore. Then there was at Art Cologne in a commercial venue at an art fair. For a while, you, you only saw photography. When I was still a student mm -hmm. at the academy, it was like photography everywhere. And that completely changed. Yeah. But my last talk was with Paula Sieverding. And mm -hmm. it, it was really interesting because she said that photography, that is like a cultural technique, like reading or writing, and everybody does it. Now, like festivals photography are popping up everywhere. There are discussions about institutions of photography everywhere. All of this. But on the same time, it seems to have, I, I wouldn't say devalued, but through this being everywhere, it seems to have lost its specialty or charm or anything. And also, as we already said, that like the one super prestigious job of photographer, which was like at the time a really career, it also lost its general importance. So on one hand, the, the photographic image is everywhere. What is important in it right now what it's important as a also as an art form in the 21st century yeah i mean i i wouldn't say it's a kind of devalue because i think photography has found its ways in different forms maybe it was not the art market which was something like the the right thing for so many players in a way but also i think photography was always a kind of transitional future oriented medium there were always developments into the new from the beginning of photography and so the the kind of technical aspect of photography went further into the moving image so nowadays video is a kind of uh, how to say at least equivalent part in connection to photography but also nowadays ki or nft or so all these kind of technical explorations of course bring a little bit other focus to what the traditional values of photography are and if we look at social media and all this kind of activities it is everywhere but i would also say it's kind of merging everywhere from there to there so from the applied to the science or to the arts or backwards or so it has become very fluid and it's more the question how can you translate that into a cultural field Exactly. That is really interesting. The On one hand, the fluidity of it. And then there was for a while, I was quite astonished by that. It's already a couple of years ago that young artists, young photographers suddenly took on, although they have all the digital possibilities, mm -hmm. they started working on film again. There was like a short time, this movement, which I think is over again. And now there are all the, is all these digital image making. And although it looks like photography, I'm not sure if, if actually the term photography can apply anymore as in its original meaning, like drawing with light. Um, I mean, it's a different kind of image making, I think. Of course, it's a different kind of image making. But on the other hand, in this digital field, for me, it's quite astonishing to see how People are doing, I don't know, uh, cyanotypes, something which belongs almost to the kind of 
core idea of photography. Like 19th century. That's 19th century. That's a photogram and people are doing it nowadays. And on the other hand of the spectrum, you have this computerized imagery, which, which has this kind of boundary between photography and pure CGI creation or so. Yeah. So it's all in between. And it's also the, I don't know, the pixel or the screen, which is kind of shining is next to very conservative ideas of photography. And I think this kind of uh, situation, which may be kind of help photography in the late 80s, 90s or so to get into the museum. I think at that time it was quite easy to have like one specific trend, but nowadays this is kind of over. I mean, yeah, it's very hard to say, okay, it is this or this. It has to exist next to each other. And so also the, the markets or also the interest or also the perception, it has to be white in the perception in a way. Yeah, but that makes it even harder for you as a curator of a museum collection, as the head of a museum collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To decide, like, what, what is it? What is worth to being preserved? And also with some of the digital formats, how can they be preserved? There so many different questions come up. I mean, we skipped a little bit the Photo Museum Winter Tour, although you were there for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So maybe we... we get this into the context again because I think when you were there at that time those questions about the digital image making were not as urgent as they are right now no I disagree I think it was very you important disagree. Okay. yes of course <laughs> sorry okay, okay. <laughs> because I would say my last years at photo museum they dealt with the question of how to transform a museum into the digital and at that time, we realized that we have to create content formats, discourses, which are not connected to the place anymore. I mean, Winterthur is close to Zurich. It has a super good reputation. People know what's, what's on there. But on the other hand, when you ask somebody, when have we been there last time? Oh, well, six years ago or yeah. eight years ago or so. so. And then the question was, can we overcome that? Because the world outside has become so so wide and also so so global in its activities so that was before corona already that you had to deal yeah. with virtual spaces actually yeah actually we created a program there which was called situations and situations was a physical space a digital space a discourse a performance a photographic work an idea a text something like that wow so it could be everything the situation was all of that, what you just said, mm -hmm. you know, the virtual space, the discourse. I mean, this was like 10 years ago or so. The interesting thing is that we kind of made a big database with a hashtag system. There was a specific exhibition which had kind of certain hashtags, but with the hashtags, the visitors, the virtual or the original, they, they could actually redefine their own interest of collecting or colliding a new exhibition so it was also a bit antithetical of being a curator as as a gatekeeper and to say okay you as a public make use of it you can do it and at some point i think we were successful in spreading the news that there's something new but on the other hand i think it was at that time still a bit overwhelming and maybe we were also misunderstood i i, I don't know this would have been my question. How, how was it used? How many people 
did really use this instead of the real space. Yeah, it's interesting that the board of the museum asked for the visitors. We presented, okay, we had this and this uh, physical visitors, but we also had this and this uh, digital visitors. You, you, and you could define how many, how many first visits, how many people were coming back, uh, and all these kind of statistics were part of the cultural value of the museum. And I think that was also a quite big shift to say, okay, and that was maybe even before Corona already emphasizing that the digital visitor is, is an important... It's meaningful. Uh, yeah, it's meaningful. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's a question we all have because we see, not just now, it has nothing to do with Corona, but that for years and years, unless you are in a city full of tourists like New York, that the visitors, like the physical visitors to the gallery mm -hmm. spaces, the physical spaces are declining and declining. It's getting less and less. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it has not necessarily to do with the visibility. So... I mean, I talk to a lot of people through the podcast, for example, and a lot mm. of them say still that they cherish the physical experience the most and they wish that more people would come and see art in the real space. I think actually photography can be displayed much better in the digital format than like, for example, a sculpture mm -hmm. or an installation or something three-dimensional. Mm. But on the other hand, we have to accept that the visibility can be so much bigger in digital space But now there's also so much offered in digital space mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it can cannibalize each other, you know? So because people won't spend their whole life, at least not our generation, a younger generation probably will spend their whole lives in front of a monitor or with a with VR glasses on or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what would I want to say, actually? Yeah, this is just like a statement, I guess. No, I mean, it's, it's a very crucial statement because it touches also the question of the necessity of having exhibitions, having a museum with physical objects or not physical objects, maybe in the future or so. But it's important to understand that there is a change in habit and the next generation have to be addressed in a different way. And when you ask me, like, is it difficult as a curator nowadays to navigate? I think it's a very experimental open field where we have to find solutions for this kind of question. And photography, I think, is extremely, how to say, positive towards that because it has also this possibility to appear in the digital format, appear in the physical format, and mm. that it can shift between these poles. I think that is almost the nature of photography today, that it, it can appear in many worlds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was already like this when it was still like perceived more physical, but you could have like, you, you always did prints in addition, so you could have actually the same show all over the world. Mm -hmm. which is not possible with unique artworks, you know, so all, already that made photography more visible. But I really wonder, like, for example, now if you decide, I mean, okay, you, you already implemented a, like a digital format at the uh, Winterthur Museum, mm -hmm. and then you went on to be the head of the photographic collection at Museum Volkwang, mm -hmm. which is probably one of the most important photographic collections in Europe. So you have the history, but you also want to develop it into the future with all the things we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you decide who is going to enter the collection new, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like what are the parameters for that or to exhibit something? Because you have to address the historical, but you also have to address the present or future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
where basically in, in both museums, in Winterthur and in Essen, I'm actually in a way reacting to the history of the museum. In, in Winterthur, it had a 25 years history and I was forming by being a collection curator for 15 years, I was forming probably the most the history of the 25 years. So that was mm. probably more not grassroots, but from the beginning to when I left, it was something like a very organic thing where it connects everything together. What me and the director at that time was Stahl, we were developing the idea of the collection from the scratch. And in contrast to that, of course, the history of Museum Volkbank and the Photographische Sammlung it goes back to the 1960s. I mean, the, the photographic collection was mm. founded 78 after Otto Steiner, the famous professor in Essen, died. But he already started when he came to Essen as a photo teacher at Volkmann University. He started a kind of collection for his students who could explore the technology, the texture of the photograph. So it was mm. not meant for the public, but it was collected for kind of little group, but with the money of the city of Essen, of course, with the idea that at some point it could get into this kind of muse museological idea. And then Ute Eskilsen was the first founder to develop the whole line further. And then Florian Ebner was the next curator after she retired. And I'm the fourth person to take over that responsibility. And I'm kind of referring, of course, with everything I do is something like I see the line starting from the 1960s uh, with the founding idea, with the development in the 80s, with Florian Ebner, who kind of was the first one to touch ideas of digitality or so. Mm. And now I'm in the present and I have to look back into the history of the museum, into the history of photography and create in a way a definition of what is contemporary and what might be of interest in the future or the direction to the future. Yeah, and that means you, in, in a way, you, you work in a very uncertain field. You have the certainty of history, but this is what's coming up. This is uncertain. And you have to also sometimes probably just plunge into it without really knowing what's coming out of it or if it will be of relevance. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's a bit vague to say plunge. I think it's something like also oh, okay. <laughs> you say, I can say define mm -hmm. also envision set points. Yeah, that's nice yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit more decisive, I would say. Yeah. And of course, it's not a speculation, but it's something like I only can propose something which is reflecting the contemporary side. And of course, a museum like Museum Volkmann. Even with a decent budget, I would say we cannot tell the whole story. So it is no. about making statements which is fitting to the institutional history and mm. writing it further. So it's responsibility. But I would also say that is the role of the curator, or at least also the collection curator, to make that statement and also to be bold at the statement in a way. Mm. And also not to forget that as it is such a important place it also defines i mean the statement you do defines also certain developments for the future so it's both you take something but you also put something in to the history yeah, of photography yeah. but on the other i also see us also in the bigger range of let's say the german museums or northern westphalia mm -hmm. where we are situated 
Der ist Museum Ludwig, der ist K20, K21 in Düsseldorf. They're all collecting institutions. So mm, basically, true. it's also not looking only at ourselves, but also being in dialogue with the others and say like, what are your preferences? What are your kind of things which we mm. don't have to collect in a 30, 40, 50 kilometer distance or so? Mm. Yeah. So obviously, there is still a lot of relevance in photography and it, and its many forms it can take in these days. And what are your plans for the photographic collection for the near future? The near future? Yeah, like shows or ideas, yeah, symposiums, yeah. whatever no, the, the, the thing is, up. I mean, uh, when there is this term of photographische Sammlung, photographic collection, it is almost like you would say it's connected to collecting. But basically, mm. we are a department within the museum We are doing like three, four shows per year, mm -hmm. partly from the collection, partly uh, something like uh, temporary exhibitions, curated temporary exhibitions. Then we are giving two grants for photographers. One is kind of supported by the Alfred Krupp von Bohlen und Halbach Stiftung. One is from the Wüstenroth Foundation about documentary photography. So there's a lot of context which is created, which is not collecting is actually supplying a kind of field of photography and i forgot almost we are also giving a grant to future photographic curators also with the foundation together so there is a lot of context which is created which is basically not exhibiting not collecting but supplying a kind of general knowledge about photography yeah and researching i mean research exactly yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. no no and preserving which a museum does. Exactly. Since two years, we have two photo restorators in the museum which have a permanent stay there and they deal with the photographic heritage, not only by Museum Volkbank, but also the other institutions in Essen, uh, the Krupp Archive, the Ruhr Museum, and also connecting with the uh, university by teaching the photographers how to deal with photographic material. I think that's also quite interesting that almost kind of looking back, like what would you do with your work in 20 years? How should it be produced in preserving it for the future? I think that there's a lot of knowledge actually shared by positions. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And you personally now, because you're still very passionate about that field, What excites you most about that field right now? The diversity of everything. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's really interesting that there are so many shifts or renewals or new trends or whatever. It's a very big field. And wherever you touch, there are always something interesting, which I would like to kind of address through exhibitions or texts or acquiring or something like that. So it's, it's something like... It could be very technical. It could be based on diversity in society or so. There are many levels where you can actually touch the differences also to the past of what we have collected so far. And to write that further into the future, I like the perspective that there is change per se in mm. this field. I think that is very exciting. Okay, Thomas. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Please find links and a text about my guest in the show notes. For more information on Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast, follow us on Instagram at Voices on Art 
and at van underscore horn underscore Düsseldorf. Visit our website van-horn.net and subscribe to Voices on Art on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect. <laughs>